You may be seated. Thank you, Mike and team, for leading us into the Lord's presence today. About 35 years ago, my wife and I were traveling home from Des Moines, and we needed to get some gas, so we stopped at the gas station on I-80 by Colfax, and I wheeled my little Dodge Omni into the gas station and uh, uh, started filling it with gas. I was about half finished, and in the lane next to me pulled a bright black brand new shiny Corvette with a rumbling LS2 engine and the door opened and out stepped a gorgeous blonde who was very well put together and she dressed to make sure we knew that. And I confess that in that moment I think I broke three commandments in about five seconds. I coveted the Corvette, I lusted after the blonde and when my wife asked me about it, I said, what blonde? I didn't even notice. <laughs> yeah, she didn't believe me either. So the message today is on lust, adultery, and divorce. I got some advice from Sam Van Monen here a couple, three weeks ago or so. He, so I, he said, well, what are you preaching on on your last Sunday? And I said, well, I think I drew the short straw. <laughs> I'm preaching on lust, adultery, and divorce, and he said, well, just lay it on the line and then sing your way out. <laughs> so thanks, Sam, I think I'll take your advice today. But seriously, whenever I have the privilege and the honor of standing up here to bring God's Word, on about Monday or Tuesday, I always go through a slugfest with the devil. And it always sounds about the same. It's always, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to bring God's Word to these people? And this week it was particularly uh, turbulent and difficult because I have lived all three of the parts of that passage that will be in our text today. And on Monday night I, I was really struggling and Deb and I talk every night on the phone while she's down in Kansas City, and I, she gets to hear this story every time I preach. <laughs> who am I? What am I? Uh, who do you think you are? And so I was, I was lamenting and talking about the struggle I was going through, and she said, well, I have just one word for you. By the way, she's going to be sharing a little bit later on. She usually has 30-second sermons for me, so I don't know if it'll be a 30-second sermon today or not, but we'll, we'll see. But... She said, I've got one word for you, Forget, you're forgiven, forgiveness. The next morning I had met with Pastor Kevin, we usually meet on Tuesday mornings, and I told him about the struggle of, that the enemy was taunting me, and he said, well, I've got one word for you, redeemed. And so I stand before you today, forgiven and redeemed, not because of anything I've done, but because of the amazing grace of Jesus. In our first service, uh, as we prepared for communion, uh, my wife and I wept as Joel Nickel sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see.
then he sang that second verse, and he had talked to me earlier because I had requested that he sing on my last Sunday, and he said, what verse do you want me to sing? And I said, that second, or that verse that talks about uh, through many dangers, toils, and snares. He said, okay. So he sang, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Why don't we sing that last verse together? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise. Than when we first begun. So today, I want to talk with us. We're going to talk about the pain and the scope of sexual sin. But we're also going to talk about the beauty and the reach of redemption. Our text comes from Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. And it's number 958 in your pew Bible. <clears throat> Chapter 5 and verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Verse 31, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. There's a progression in these verses that is very clear, and I don't know if you recall from last week, Pastor Kevin talked about the progression from anger to contempt to malice. It starts in the heart with anger, and it starts to display as contempt as hatred, and it ends up with malice to where we wish the very worst vocally and verbally on other people. Well, these verses have the same kind of progression. You see, Jesus always goes after the heart first. He says it starts in the heart with lust, and then it turns into adultery, and finally, divorce, which can also be defined as the death of a marriage. And many people who have walked through the sad story of divorce could tell you that it very much is like, or maybe even worse than, a death. Because it's a death you keep on living over and over again. And I want to be very clear today, I'm going to be very candid and honest, and say that God hates divorce. because of the pain that it causes. But I also want you to know that if you are here and, 
and you find yourself in that situation that God's grace is also sufficient even for those times. And we're going to talk about that with more clarity in a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about my story. It's a story of incremental compromise. I didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll go commit adultery today. It was an incremental, it was a thought that I didn't take captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. It was a glance, and then it was a lingering glance and a second thought. From the time that this sin was first conceived in my mind until the time it was full-blown sin was about five years of incremental disobedience and disregard for God's purpose for my life. So it starts as a glance, a thought, a lingering glance, a second thought, a wink or a text or an accidental touch and then an on-purpose touch. And what's difficult about it is those things happen and there's no voice from heaven that says, knock it off. <laughs> God doesn't stop us in our tracks. We may have a quiet voice of the Holy Spirit convicting us, but for the most part, I hate to say it, but that's pretty easy to override. And what happens is we become hardened more and more hardened to the voice of the Spirit in us. And pretty soon it's, it's a close friendship that crosses a line or that drains energy from our own marriage. And in the many times that I have dealt with people who have walked through adultery and affairs, the story is almost always the same. Well, it's just a close friend. It's just a close friend. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I use that line from the beginning to the very end of when my sin was discovered. It was just a close friend. Then we move into the area of deception. First, it's a half-truth. Then, then it's a white lie. Then it's a bold-faced lie. Then it's a secret life, a deep, dark deceit. And in all candor today, that's the part that, I, that, plagues, that torments me the most about my past is the deceit because I had always been so proud to have a, to be a man of my word. And now, all of a sudden, I was lying to everyone. I was lying to myself. I was lying to a church full of people who trusted me to be their leader. I was lying to my wife, my kids living a secret life, and there was still no fire from heaven or voice from heaven that said, knock it off, because by this time I had very much overruled the prompting of the Holy Spirit in my soul and in my spirit. And probably the scariest part of this all could be said in the words of a song that was popular back in the 70s when I was in high school. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. 
because you light up my life. See how that happens, that incremental compromise? Because we want to be happy, and no one is, God isn't stopping us, and God wants us to be happy, right? Right? Incremental compromise. Proverbs 9, verses 17 to 18 says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. I had a pastor friend that preached a sermon that I'll always remember. He said this, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go. It'll make you stay longer than you intended to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever thought you would pay. I want to share a few thoughts about payday, and then we're going to move to the good news. So, okay, just hang with me. I won't use the word, but you've heard the expression, payback is, payday is rough on this road of incremental compromise. There's not a day that goes by, there's not a night that I go to bed that I don't think about the casualties of my rebellion. I can name names of people who have never set foot inside a church ever since that day. And the enemy reminds me of those people often. So I just want to give you that little bit of reality this morning about why God gives us His Word to direct us. It is a painful road, this road of compromise that leads to a place of death. James says it best in the first chapter where we read this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And listen to this progression. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full, full grown, gives birth to death. Lust, adultery, divorce, desire, sin, death. That's the road of incremental compromise. So what am I to do about this predicament? What's man to do about this sinful nature? Or as in the words of Paul in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Well, let me tell you the two most common uh, responses that we give in the church. The first one is this, Let, let's add some more laws. <laughs> let's add some law. Let, let's try to scare people into righteousness. Or maybe we can give the law some teeth. We can make some punishment, bring some punishment along. Maybe that'll help people to live better and to keep from this trap of sin. Sometime you'll have to look up some of the stupid laws that are on the books in different states. Uh, I didn't have time to look them up, but there's some crazy one. One of them I remember is there's a state, I don't remember what state it is, but they have a law that all, be, all men under the age of 20 have to wear blinders after the time of 6 o'clock every night. <laughs> I'm sure that helps out a lot. That keeps, keeps a lot of guys out of sin, right? 
Think of all the laws that we make. I grew up, I grew up in a very strict uh, church and environment, and we had a preacher that would, that would tell us, and this is no lie, Capri Theater was on the north side of the street in New Sharon, and he preached that if Capri was on the north side of the street, we were to walk on the south side of the street when we went through New Sharon for two reasons. Number one, you might be lulled or pulled into the theater, watch that terrible movie show, or number two, you might be walking by there and someone will say, look, he went to the movie, and then the gossip gets going. And he would use Scripture to back all that up and to make us feel really scared about so we'd follow the law. That's one of our common responses to this sin problem that we have. I have a problem with that, though. Paul talked about it in Romans 7. He said, I didn't even know what it meant to covet. I didn't know what it meant to covet until the law came along and said, thou shalt not covet. And then all of a sudden it aroused in me every covetous desire, Paul said. Imagine that. Have you ever told your kid not to touch the stove, not to do this, not to do that? What do they want to do? First thing, just exactly what you told them not to. That's our human nature. So law does not fix human nature. In fact, Paul went on to say in that same passage, he said, the law was added so that the transgression would increase. And then he goes on to say, where sin increased, grace increased much more. And that's where we're going with this today. That's the good news about our message. But to back up a little bit, I told you there were two common responses. The second one is much more spiritual, and it sounds something like this. Oh, we just need to try to be like Jesus. We need to walk in the dust of the rabbi, and then somehow we'll be transformed. Well, I know 12 people who walked in the dust of the rabbi for three years. And you know what happened to them when the going got tough? One betrayed, one denied, and the other ten were nowhere to be found. The Bible says they all forsook him and fled. So I would like to suggest today that there's more to it than just trying to, trying to be good or trying to be like Jesus or following in the steps of the Savior. All of that sounds good. We used to sing a little song when I was growing up, and I would sing it with great fervor and passion, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him all through life's journey from earth to glory. All I ask is to be like him. The problem with that, it's easier sung than done. I've been trying four years to be like Pastor Kevin, and I can't even get that down. How in the world am I ever going to be like Jesus? Seriously. And I asked myself a question. I, I hope I don't get kicked out. I hope I don't get fired for this. <laughs> Do you suppose it's possible that maybe the, God's desire for us is not to be like Jesus? Maybe his desire is for me to be a redeemed Phil and for you to be a redeemed Steve and you to be a redeemed Rick and you to be a redeemed Deb. What if as redeemed, his life starts to flow in us and through us, and as we are connected to the vine, all of a sudden, all of the resources of Jesus Christ start to flow in and out and through us? That's what his design is. It's not for us to be a copycat of anyone. It's for us to be who God created us to be in Christ. 
connected to the vine, drawing our life from him. I'm going to try a little object lesson. I didn't know if I was going to do this, but I'm going to try it. Call on my favorite theologian this morning to illustrate this point. I hope this works. When I practiced it on Friday, I took out the whole first full row of seats over there. Uh, my favorite theologian is Calvin, not John, Calvin. Calvin and Hobbes, that Calvin. So, so one day Calvin couldn't get anybody to play ball with him. Are you ready over there? So he thought, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll take my bat and ball and I'll knock it as high as I can in the air. And then I'll throw the bat down. I'll grab my glove while it's still in the air. And I'll run. And I'll catch it. I caught it. I'm out. <laughs> Doesn't matter how much we go to church. Don't matter how much we try to be like Jesus, no matter how much we put in the offering, we're still out. When we try to attain our righteousness by law or by being good, the Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now we come to the Sermon on the Mount. And I love the Sermon on the Mount because it always goes to the heart. But there's a problem even with the Sermon on the Mount if we turn it into a law. If we couldn't even keep the old covenant, which said, thou shalt not murder, how in the world are we going to keep the Sermon on the Mount that says, you can't even be angry? If I wasn't able... It'll stop eventually. If I'm not even able to keep the adultery thing, how am I ever going to deal with the lust thing? And, if we, and, and Pastor Kevin has said it so well. He said, the Sermon on the Mount is not prescriptive. It's descriptive of a life filled with Christ. If it was prescriptive, I can guarantee you just about everybody in this church would be missing some body parts today. We just read it, didn't we? So it's descriptive, not prescriptive. So I would like to offer you today a slightly different perspective on the Sermon on the Mount. What if the Sermon on the Mount was the exclamation point of the entire Mosaic law? Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never inherit the kingdom of God. So what if the Sermon on the Mount was designed to show us the depth of our sin at our very core? You remember that picture of the iceberg that Kevin has used a couple times? You've got, you've got all that, uh, uh, that little bit at the top that everybody can see, and then you've got everything down below. What if the Sermon on the Mount was to expose what was below that nobody else sees, what's going on in the heart and in the mind? What if the Sermon on the Mount was designed to bring us all to the level ground 
at the foot of the cross to where we realize that all of us are in desperate need of his righteousness. What if, what if we've all been concluded under sin, regardless of how squeaky clean we may seem to be on the outside? What if our only hope was in the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf? And my friends, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. What if the solution to our sin problem was not just to follow in the dust of the rabbi or just to try to be like Jesus, but to totally be reborn by the Spirit of the living God and to be daily filled with and submitted to the Holy Spirit? I would suggest that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, to help us realize our total helplessness before God and His total uh, sacrifice on our behalf that he has offered as a free gift. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. And that leads me to our closing thoughts about the beauty and the reach of redemption. And I would like to sh share the good part of my story if I could. When God found me as a prodigal, there were three parts to this story, and then I'm going to have my wife come after that and share a little bit of her story. My journey back from the far country, it started by me hiding in North Dakota. But guess what? God found me, <laughs> and he brought me to repentance. Remember that verse that says, the kindness of our God leads us to repentance? He found me. He found me at Christmas time, and I was overwhelmed that he still even knew where it was. I was trying to hide from him. <laughs> that never works. So I was hiding in North Dakota, and God found me and brought me to repentance. Then I came back here, and I started hiding in Third Church. That's why I came to Third Church. You didn't know that, did you? It was the biggest church around here, and I could come in. I could, sl I could slip in after the first song and slip out before the last song. You know those, you've been there. It was the best place in the world to hide. I was still checking it off my box. I've been to church on Sunday, but nobody's going to find me here. Guess what? God found me again, and so did Keith. <laughs> <laughs> but he brought me there to redemption, here to redemption, repentance, redemption. And then the third part was a Kansas City surprise when I found Deb, <laughs> and that's part of restoration. I've been so blessed. Five years ago this month, we met in a Panera in Kansas City. I'd never been to Panera before. <laughs> that kind of alarmed her just a little bit. <laughs> my, my profile name on Christian Mingle was Tractor Boy 53. Now, who wouldn't love a guy like that? <laughs> I'm not sure how it all worked <laughs> or why it all worked, <laughs> but I'm so glad it did. And I'm just going to, oh, our first meeting at Panera, I had determined that I was going to tell her the whole story right front. I didn't want any surprises. So I told Deb my whole story. And then I got done and she said, well, can I tell you mine? So she told me hers and then she looked at me and said, now do you feel better about yourself? <laughs> 
That's my Deb. And she's going to share a little bit of her story right now. Thanks. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. So I have on my grandma hippie vest today. Just thought I'd show that off. <sighs> okay. Is that, is that it? No. Are you going to stand here by me? Yeah, get, you're on. Get down you there. Sit down? Yes, don't stand by me. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't stand by me. That makes me too nervous. Okay, I'm going to try to get through this without crying because if I start crying, then I might need a whole roll of bounty paper towels. So, anyway, so Phil said I have three and a half minutes to tell you about my 63 year, years of life. And um, I'll start out. Um, we, my family, when I was nine years old, came to church and came to Christ uh, because uh, I had my little brother died a tragic death. So um, at about age 19, I married, I was very mature, and I married the preacher's son. So then at about age 29, after uh, my husband had had some issues with drugs, and both of us, neither one of us knew how to handle it, so we both made mistakes and some bad choices. So at age 29, here I am, divorced, crushed spirit, um, really nothing except for my two children, and um, I can say I did not turn my back on God, but I did not turn to God, even though I had been a Christian since nine, and even though I kept going to church and I kept taking my kids to church. So for about 19 years, I kept making bad decisions. And um, mainly because I kept beating myself up. I couldn't forgive myself of sin. And then I didn't allow God's forgiveness either. And um, so, you know, the phrase that hurting people hurt others I can tell you we don't intentionally hurt other people, but we are so wrapped up in what's going on with us that our actions sometimes hurt others. And I can't really say that I had an aha moment or a God moment, but there are two passages in Scripture that um, eventually I started listening to. And one of them was Psalms 51, um, verse 10. And I'm sure most of you have heard it. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I knew those. They were underlined in my Bible. But then I kept reading, and verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And then the one that I don't ever remember hearing was, and it says, then I will teach transgressors your way so sinners will turn back to you. And I'm like, wait, God wants to forgive me so I can teach others so they can turn back. Not just turn to you, but turn back. So I'm like, wait, I'm not the only person who's messed up and God wants to restore me. And then the other verse is Isaiah 43, 25. God blots out our transgressions for his sake. And it hit me, forgiveness really isn't all about me. I mean, I got to the position I was at because I thought everything was all about me. But forgiveness really isn't all about me. It's about, yes, God wants to forgive us of our guilt. 
but he also wants to use our mess to, uh, so our mess can be his message. And he also wants our lives to glorify him. So I kind of, there's like three steps. I'm kind of a simple person. Um, I don't know that I could ever preach 20 minutes. I'm mostly 30 seconds, but you guys are getting the three minute, 30 second version. So first I will say, accept his, forgi- accept his forgiveness. I wanna, it took me a long time to realize this, but I would constantly like, oh God, please forgive me that. Please forgive me that. And then I'm like, wait, he's forgiving me. So I'm gonna start thanking him. So every time those thoughts came into my mind, I would be like, thank you God for giving me of that sin. And actually, that's what I told Phil Monday night. He was nicer about it, but sometimes I'm not the wise, nice wife. I'm like, hey, God forgave you. Move on. Accept it. Thank him. Move on. So that's what he has to deal with, folks, seriously. So anyway, and then, like I said before, God, allow God to use your mess to share his message. I mean, Psalms 51 was written by David, who was a mess, And Ephesians 3, well, I haven't got to that yet, but anyway, was written by Paul, and he was a mess too. So get involved in a church, and I will tell you, I mean, I went to church forever, and I didn't feel like I could share my story with people at church because I felt like they would judge me. And yes, there are some people in church who judge you, but true Christians are not going to judge you. They're going to accept you, and they're going to walk along with you. And then the last thing you need to remember is that your life needs to glorify God. That's one reason he forgives you, so he can be glorified. Stop beating yourself up. It doesn't help you. It doesn't help your kids. It doesn't help anyone around you. And I heard this Friday at a non-Christian event that I went to, and it said, they said, you see what you seek. I would suggest that you seek God through his word so you can see yourself the way that God sees you. And in a couple, I don't know, weeks, a month ago, I read Ephesians 3, which was written by Paul, like I said before, another mess. If you guys don't, I'm, I'm sure most of you know he was a mess. But anyway, he writes these words, even though I am the less than the least of God's people, God's grace and power has been given to me to tell others about God's boundless riches and the mystery of his grace. The mystery of his grace. Honestly, I don't feel worthy to be up here, and I don't understand why God spoke to our hearts four and a half years ago and laid this church on our hearts. But he did. And I will say that third practice, redemption, And the people in this church have been so gracious to us, and we are so very thankful. And I'm done because, mm mm-mm, done. (laughs) (laughs) So. I think it is so fitting that we gather around the table today and celebrate his grace. (laughs) There's probably a thousand stories in here And all of the stories have a beautiful redemption thread running through all of them. So thank you so much for letting us be a part of those stories over these past four years. It's been a tremendous blessing and an honor for us. We don't know for sure all the steps ahead. We're trying to follow the Lord as best we can. We appreciate your prayers in that. 
And we will be praying for you as well that God will continue this wonderful work of redemption here in Pell, Iowa. On behalf of all of the elders of the church, I would like to invite any of you who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to join us in communion. And, and I would like to say, you all know me, I, I don't like any opportunity to pass without challenging people to examine their hearts before God. And if you've come here today and you've been on the run like I was, or if you've been in hiding like I was, or maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, I want this to be your day. You know what? It's as simple as a prayer that says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says that in that moment, that man went home justified, just as if he'd never sinned. So today, if you've been a Christian for 40 years or if you've just prayed that prayer right now, welcome to the table of the family of God, the table of His grace. The Lord Jesus, the same night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup after they had supped and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread that we break is the communion of the body of Christ. The cup that we bless is the communion of the blood of Jesus Christ. Elders, would you come and serve and please receive whenever you feel led by the Holy Spirit this morning. took the altar and made it 
story of redemption written on his hands and jesus you will reign forevermore the victory is yours and we sing your praise and endless hallelujah to your holy name and jesus you for your life and for your resurrection. Oh, Lord, you are so good. You are so kind. You are so gracious and merciful. We thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, that we could come and draw near to you, that you have reconciled us back into right relationship. And oh, that we can celebrate all that you have done for us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to offer this blessing. And then I'd like to ask if you would allow Deb and me to kind of make our way back to the area over there. We'd like to greet as many as, as possible, but it'd be better if we did it out there than up here in front. So uh, after I offer the blessing, we're going to hightail it out of here. We'd love to greet as many as we possibly can. Uh, it's been a wonderful blessing and privilege, as we said earlier, to serve in this, this family of God here in Pella. I want to read the words, a doxology from Jude, where it says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you.